Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, it's hard to believe that we're nearing the end of our time in Ephesians. This is the 10th week, and we have just one more to wrap up this series that we've entitled Together. One more before Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? And then, believe it or not, that's us on to the Christmas season. And for Advent, I'm really excited that we're going to be walking through a book called Malachi, and that for each of the five weeks of the Christmas season, one of our now five elders is going to be taking a chunk of this book and breaking it down for us as we celebrate the the coming of Jesus by listening to the last prophetic words that reverberated over a 400-year period of silence that was only finally broken when it was definitively answered in the sending of God's Son. So what did Malachi have to say? Well, two weeks' time, you've got to show back up, and we'll start to look at that book over the Christmas season. But today we're back in Ephesians, and out of the, the contrast that, that we looked at last week between the way the world walks, loving only itself, and the way that we've been called to walk, to love others, having been loved by God and Christ, Paul is going to take that and flesh that out today in three specific relationships. The relationships between a husband and a wife, the relationship between a parent and a child, and the relationship between a servant and a master. And now I want to make a disclaimer on the front end of this. There are plenty of trees to look at. Plenty of weeds, actually, to look at when you unpack, when you start to unpack these relationships. If you're living in the weeds, raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. There's plenty of weeds to look at when unpacking these relationships, but we're not going to get into them much. We'll get into them a bit, and we'll try to at least put them in perspective, but today, as Paul's point was, so our attention is going to be focused on the forest, backing up to see what these relationships are supposed to look like within the ideal of the Christian community. Does that make sense? There are other places in Scripture that deals with the brokenness. That's not what Paul is dealing with. He's putting forth a vision of what it's supposed to be. So dealing with the complexities of what it's not in your particular space in life, it's not going to be completely answered by today. It will in part, but take this for what it is, don't take it too far for what it's not. So we're going to begin by reading. We're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 22 all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9. Again, chapters 5, verse 22, all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9. This is God's word. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands... As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these pictures of life are so foreign to many of us, it's hard to believe that you're even serious that this is even a possibility in our world, submitting to and leading in a way that not only loves those placed under our care, but cares about those placed over us, but reflects in measure also what we've come to know in Jesus and come to know of Jesus. And I know none of this left to myself apart from Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that's the same for all of us in this room right now. But my prayer today, Lord, is that it would be so because of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it was, um, it was Aristotle who 
400 years before Jesus, 400 years before Paul, 400 years before the writing of this letter to the Ephesians, it was Aristotle who said that every state is composed of or out of households. And the political philosophy of the Greco-Roman world is looming large in the background of this book at this point in Paul's letter. Every state is composed of or out of households. Whether we agree or respect that opinion or not in our day and age, with how much we've undercut in our culture the home. Paul agrees, very much agrees with Aristotle that every state is composed of or out of households. That the home is the heart of society. The only difference is that for Paul, he's not concerned with the state that man has created. He's concerned with the community of Christ. He's concerned with us, the church. And so his concern is not for the family in general, but the families that are represented here, what we do in our marriages here, what we do in our parenting here, what we do with those relationships we have that we are either over or under those in authority. Paul is going to speak then into these three areas because Paul agrees that every state is composed of or out of households. Now Paul's laid out, if you remember last week, Paul's laid out that in Christ we're no longer to love only ourselves as we once did and as the world still does, but having been loved by God and loved by Christ, then we're to be about the business of loving others. The ideal of the Christian community is that we would be a people focused on loving others. And when we slip once again into loving only ourselves, to wandering back to old ways that ultimately lead to nowhere, accomplish nothing, and satisfy never, the answer is the community of Christ. That's why we're here today. That's why we're singing about these things. That's why we pray about what we do. That's why we listen to the word preached. Even me, it hits me. Because why? Because it's about community. When we slip into old ways, it's about coming back to the community and being guarded by the community. But Paul's point here in this passage that we're going to look at today is what we do as a community, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is how he puts it in verse 21. What we do as a community isn't going to have an anchor, isn't going to be founded, is going to slip away and be eroded along with all of what our culture is eroding unless those same things are reflected in the building blocks out of which our community is constructed. If we're to submit to the authority, the God-given authority of the church, the God-given leadership of the church, that's got to begin first at home in this either carrying out or submitting to the leadership of marriage, the leadership of parenting, the leadership of any relationship you have of either being over or submitting under the authority of someone else. 
And so we're going to look at Paul, these three building blocks of the Christian community, three building blocks out of which the Christian community is built. We're going to look first at husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. Now, I know this can get uncomfortable. I've been very uncomfortable all week. That's why we need to listen. So Paul begins in verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let me say that again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Just as you would submit to Christ and submit to Christ's church, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For he says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself, he says, its Savior. And for those of you who are married here today or looking forward to being married someday in the future for you wives, that's the role your husbands are meant to play. They're meant to reflect in their roles, as flawed as they may do that, the headship of Christ. And for those doing that, and I think we need to say that, for those doing that, Paul's speaking to the church of Ephesus, expecting husbands and wives to be sitting there next to each other. He's not talking to the brokenness of the world. Or if you're here today with a spouse who's not following Christ. Those are more complicated situations that deserve a more complicated answer. But for those sitting here, if your husband is following Christ, this is what he's saying. That those already, in a sense, submitting themselves to the church and submitting themselves to the one another's of the church under Christ. For those husbands doing that, Paul's calling wives to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Not because you're less important, not because you're less valuable or less capable of fending for yourselves. And Lord knows that's not true. I know that's not true, except for maybe this very small caveat of directions. But it's not, it's not that you're less important. It's not that you're less capable. You're called to submit because it's a role thing. And in Christ, when two individuals have placed themselves under the lordship of Christ, we're meant to put down the agendas of doing it for me and doing it my way and come back to where we were always meant to be. One of the places Catherine and I used to date was up at Lake Placid. Do you know Lake Placid? Lake Placid was made famous, the streets of this little town made famous as the host of the 1980 Winter Olympics. And one of the places we'd walk past was the Herb Brooks Arena. Do you know the story? Herb Brooks was the coach of the 1980 Olympic hockey team who put together, Herb Brooks put together a team of those drawn from the perennial rivals in the college hockey circuit, University of Minnesota, Boston University. 
primarily drawn from those two universities, put together this team to face off against the dynasty of the Soviet Union in a game that would go down as has been proclaimed as the greatest sports moment in the 20th century. It's been claimed, and it is the most, it was the most watched hockey game in the history of hockey. And was dubbed the miracle on ice. But well into the process of putting that team together, the players drawn from these two rivals on the college hockey circuit were still identifying more with where they came from than with the team they had been called to. Rob McCallahan, University of Minnesota. Jack O'Callaghan, Boston University. Until one night after tying the Norwegian national team, Coach Brooks forced his players to run a suicide practice until the rink attendant actually turned off the lights on them. And it was at that moment in, this, in the movie that captures that, that Brooks's character captured what was at play. This is what he said in that moment. He says to his players, when you put on that jersey, the Olympic jersey with USA plastered across the chest. He said, the name on the front means a heck of a lot more than the name on the back. As to the Lord, wives, as to the Lord. Paul says in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. It doesn't mean you lose your identity or give up your God-given gifts any more than when you come to Christ, but that in the ideal of the Christian community, if we're to reflect what God intends us to reflect in the building blocks of this community, just as we're to reflect it in the community itself, if we're to do that, it means that in the ideal of the Christian community, the way we submit to one another and the God-given leadership of the church is to be reflected and built upon our submission to the leadership in our homes. Your husbands are meant to lead. It's one of the most devastating pieces of the fall that wives would try to lead their husbands when their husbands are supposed to be leading them. Which, of course, it has a lot to do, though, with how husbands lead. So Paul turns his attention to the husbands. This was the most uncomfortable piece for me this week. He says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. This isn't about leading for leading's sake. This is about leading like Jesus. It's not about putting your feet up and waiting for another frosty beverage while you sit in front of the TV. This isn't an Aussie and Harriet 1950s kind of leading. It's about loving them and giving yourself up for them. They're supposed to submit to your sacrifice, husbands. So we make it really difficult for our wives if all we give them to submit to is our selfishness. 
We make it really difficult, and at some point, they're not going to be able to do what they're supposed to do because we're not doing what we're supposed to do, and whose fault is that? He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, he says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Paul says, washing with the word, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. A husband's leadership of his wife is about sanctifying her, cleansing her, washing her with the word that she might be holy. So that in a lot of ways, what Paul is saying here is that under Christ, this man-woman relationship is supposed to bring us back to the garden. Paul's whole theology of what the church, what we're supposed to be, is about the garden. It's about the Garden of Eden. That here, in this place, when we're gathered together, we're supposed to taste something of what we once had back when nothing was wrong. But that can't happen in the ideal of the Christian community if that's not also true of the building blocks out of which the community is constructed. So in our marriages, and if you're single, this is still important because if we fall, we fall together. In our marriages, we're meant to live again like we were supposed to in Eden. And I don't mean naked. But if you know the story that it was, it was the man who was created first. It was the man who was commanded first. It was the man who was commissioned first to carry out God's will in God's world. Even before the woman was on the scene. So that after woman was created, and even though it was the woman who first disobeyed God, it's still the man who was culpable. Created, commanded, commissioned. He's culpable. He's the one that's responsible because he's standing there allowing her to do what he was supposed to lead her not to do. It's still the man who's held responsible. But Paul's saying what Adam should have done and never did. And Christ has done like we never could. We're now as husbands meant to do like under Christ we can. This is the leadership our wives are supposed to submit to. You may know the story of the young DEA officer who stopped in at a ranch in Texas. He talked with the old farmer who lived there. He told him that he was going to inspect his property for illegally grown drugs, to which the rancher quickly complied, but said, as long as you stay out of the field over there. To which you could imagine the chagrin of this young DEA officer, he quickly took out of his pocket his DEA badge and he said, see this badge, mister? This badge means that I work under the authority of the United States government and I can go into any field I please, no questions asked, no answers given. Thank you. 
To which the old farmer quickly apologized for the inadvertent insult, went about his business, and so did the DEA officer. But it wasn't long before working back to work, this farmer heard the screams and went running to the field to see the DEA officer being chased by this man's bull. So he, he dropped what he was doing. He jumped up on the fence and he said, the badge, the badge, take out the badge. Husbands, we often operate as if the God-given leadership in our homes is a badge that we can wave in anybody's face we please to make them do anything we please whenever we so darn please. But our leadership in the home is meant to be so much more. Paul says at the end of verse 28, he, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, he says. Therefore, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. As we nourish and cherish our wives, not only because it's best for them even, but because it's best for me. Yet Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Because really, this isn't about us. At least in the end of it all. It's about Jesus. It's about telling the story through our marriages of Jesus. He says, I'm saying this refers to Christ and the church. However, he says, even though it was Jesus who did it, Jesus who does it better than any of us ever will, he says, let each one of you, husbands, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. These are the building blocks of the ideal of the Christian community. What Paul what Paul's saying doesn't address the brokenness. And I know that is well represented among us. More than you know. More than you thinking it's only you that is well represented among us. But for those of us here today, married and sitting next to our husbands or sitting next to our wives, both of us having come under Christ, this is the relationship we're meant to have. Husbands leading like Christ. Wives submitting, or as Paul says here, maybe slightly more palatable in today's culture, respecting your husband, holding him in respect, like the church, for the good of the church. Because if we fall here, we fall together. This train of thought, though, carries Paul to discuss also the relationship between parents and their children, another building block of the Christian community and another place our submitting to one another and our submitting to and carrying out the God-given leadership of the church ought to be reflected in the relationship between a, a parent and a child. 
As with marriage, Paul begins by addressing those under authority. He says in chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Here, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, he says. This is proper. This is the way it's meant to be. And then he quotes this commandment from Exodus 20. Honor your father and mother, he says. This being the first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And it's that simple. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because God said so. But it isn't just because God said so, though that's enough. That's always enough but because he's told you not only that you should do it and that that's the way things are supposed to be, but because this is the key for it going well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, obey your parents. However, some translations have been stripping this last phrase of all its significance. They simply say that you may live long on earth, as if, This is simply about long life in the here and now, which it's not. And kids, for those of you still living under your parents' roof, you have to understand that that's part of it, living long here on earth. And it's certainly, but it's certainly not most of it. If you want to live long, generally it's a good thing to follow your parents. Johnny, don't go in the street. Johnny, don't go in the street. Why, Dad? Because I went in the street once, and it wasn't good for me, and it's not going to be good for you. Johnny, don't go in the street. You want to live long, it's good to follow your parents. But that's not really what Paul is talking about here. He's picking up on another one of these threads that's supposed to lead us back to the tapestry of where we came from, where the conundrum of Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Or in this case, which came first, the mom or the kid, the dad or the kid? is really a non sequitur. Because it was Adam and Eve that were created first, right? Created, commanded, commissioned, then the wife being commissioned with him. So that the picture is that eventually they would bring their kids into living rightly under God. Living out God's will in God's world. That's what the picture was supposed to be. Now, with Adam and Eve, we never see that. It never gets to that point. They don't have kids before they start messing up. But that's the way it was supposed to be. And Paul's saying here, under Christ, we're supposed to come back to where it all began. To do again, to do for the first time really, under Christ, what we never could before. To lead our kids into following the way of the Lord that they would obey so that they would live long in the land, which is really just another way of saying so that they would live long with Jesus. It's interesting, that command in Exodus 20. It's interesting that that comes on the heel of the whole story of what God's doing, right? But it's interesting where that story is repeated in Deuteronomy. That command is given again. It's preempted not by the command to... that children are to obey is preempted by the command to parents of what to teach. Do you know Deuteronomy? What's the high point of Deuteronomy? It's in chapter 6. It reads like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So that what your children are supposed to be obeying is what it means to follow Jesus. Not your agenda, which for me it so often is my agenda. It's supposed to be following what it means to follow Jesus. Just like the man is not supposed to be commanding his wife to go get him another frosty beverage. It's not about that. It's a leadership towards loving God. So if your house, if in your house this has turned into something other than that, we've got to bring it back to what it was meant to be. That this is always about growing our kids, leading our wives to follow Jesus, and moms leading our children. And kids, as your parents do that, you would do well and it will go well with you, and you will live long in the land. You will live long with Jesus if you obey. If you want to go your own way, you want to do your own thing, you want to figure it out for yourself, you want to do it the hard way, have at it. And by God's grace, only by God's grace, if it happens, you will someday see that your parents knew better than you. Because we've already made those mistakes. I'm a hard-headed child. I had to learn a lot for myself by God's grace. But I'm standing here today to you, to those who are younger than me, and still have a chance to listen to your parents in that way. Don't do it. Don't go out in the street, Johnny. There's a better way to live. Parents, make sure you're leading them to Jesus. That's what this is about. The strength of Herb Brooks, the coach of the 1980 Olympic hockey team, brought to the table. It was not that he was the best player. He wasn't. He had actually been cut from the 1960 Olympic team that was the first American gold hockey medal. The first ever, the first before 1980. He had actually been cut. He wasn't the best player. The strength he brought to the table was that he had been on that road before. And he had watched that road time and time again. So he knew how to beat the Soviets at their own game. Within the ideal of the Christian community, us parents have been there before. We've been there before. We've walked this road ahead of our kids and are continuing to walk it with them and should be continuing to walk it with them. So that in the Lord, children then, you ought to obey. And that we, would, we as parents would come back to what this is all about, of bringing our kids to Jesus. Now, there's one other area of life, though, one other building block that Paul takes the time to address. He turns finally from focusing on the relationship between husbands and wives, or between parents and children, to the relationship between servants and masters 
or some translations have it, between slaves and masters. Now, this is admittedly where our culture is the most different from Paul's, both because we don't have a relationship in our day that corresponds to this one, at least not in a one-to-one sense, but also because the relationship it calls to mind, they aren't good relationships. It calls to mind the horrors of the Middle Passage or the atrocities of sex trafficking. These are not good things, and that's not, though, what Paul has in mind. He's talking about a relationship, again, that was present in the ideal of the Christian community of Ephesus. He's talking about something that was generally thought of as a a good thing, not discriminatory slavery based on race or based on power, hunger, like that, but constructive servitude based on necessity, where if you couldn't support yourself or support your family or pay your way out of some sort of debt you incurred in the ancient world, you would place yourself under the care of someone else and you would become theirs. It's actually Paul's favorite way of talking about his own Christian life. Do you hear this in his writings? A bondservant of Christ, a slave of Christ. Like he's not ashamed to say that. This is a great thing to come under the care of someone else when you can't do it yourself. And that's his picture of the Christian life. A bondservant of Christ. But Paul says within that relationship, coming under the, to serve someone else, if you're in that relationship with someone, there's a certain way to live that out. A certain way under God, under that authority structure put in place by God. If you're under the authority of someone, someone's leading over you, he says, just obey carry out your end of the bargain as much as you can. This is what he says in verse 5. He says, Bondservants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. It's the same word he used for children. Bondservants obey. It's not the voluntary submission of a wife. It's the obedience of a child. Bondservants obey. It's like becoming a footman in Downton Abbey. It's a good thing. It's a better thing than scratching a living for yourself out in the real world. To be a footman in Downton Abbey. To work up the line in Downton Abbey. But if you're a footman, there are certain things you're supposed to be doing. And there's a way you're supposed to be doing them. Just obey. So if you find yourself in service to someone else. And this is where it hits home for us. Whether that's a working relationship or on some other level, especially here in the church where your master is likewise someone who's submitted themselves to Christ, just obey. Do what you're supposed to do. Carry out the terms of service. Even though it's a a funny thing that today in these working relationships, have you ever done this? You've hired another Christian? In these working relationships, it's sometimes hard to figure out who's the servant and who's the master, right? You think they're serving you by coming over and fixing your plumbing, but all of a sudden you're indebted to them because you owe them money. Well, one way or another, carry out your side of the bargain. If you're doing the work, do it right. Do it right. 
If you're paying, pay right. It shouldn't get down to this awkward, awkward time where you're trying to figure out if you're going to get a bigger discount or you've got to give a bigger gratuity. It's not that. Carry out your end of the bargain. That's what we ought to be about in the Christian church, especially between ourselves. If you find yourself in a, in a, in a place of serving another or being indebted to another, just obey. Carry out your end of the bargain. If you hire someone to work for you, pay them what they should be paid. If you're hired, do what needs to be done. Paul says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. The ones he expects are sitting next to you in church on Sunday. Obey them with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Obey them like you would obey Jesus. Because really, this is about obeying Jesus. This is about following Jesus. Reflecting that in our lives, in how we live under others. Doing the will of God from the heart, Paul says. Verse 7, rendering service as to the Lord. As to the Lord, in the Lord, and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. Do what's good. Do what's right. And then he says to masters, verse 9, you ever find yourself where someone's serving you, where you're over them in authority? And it stretches all the way back through parenting, all the way back through our relationship as husband and wife. If you ever find yourself in that situation, he says, masters, do the same to them. Do what is good. Do what is right. Stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours, he's in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Should transform the way we lead wherever we lead. Paul says that the way we submit to one another and submit ourselves to the God-given authority and leadership of the church in the ideal of the Christian community ought to begin with and be reflected in the building blocks out of which that community is constructed. Because if we fall here, we all fall. That wherever leadership is at stake, whether marriage, parenting, this relationship between those dependent, those who are the ones they are dependent on, that in any of these, whatever leadership, wherever leadership is at stake, the way we come under and carry that out would be done as to Jesus. The voiceover at the end of that movie telling the story of the 1980 Olympic hockey team is of Coach Brooks explaining the significance of what happened that night. Amidst the Iranian hostage crisis, the Soviet takeover of Afghanistan, the height of the Cold War, if you can remember back to the middle of those days, and this is what he says, that it was a lot more than a hockey game. Not only for those who watched it, but for those who played it. 
that the sight of these 20 young men of such differing backgrounds now standing as one had been willing to sacrifice so much of themselves to give a nation what it needed most, a chance, not only to dream, but a chance once again to believe. If we're to have the chance to just even dream about the ideal of the Christian community being present here, submitting ourselves to one another when we need it most because we're going our own way, that has to begin at home, in our hearts, with what we do in those areas that are closest to us. That we would reflect it in how a husband and wife lead and follow. How a parent cares for their kids, brings them to Jesus. And how in any relationship where we find ourselves in leadership, or where we serve those in leadership, that there we reflect the reality that someday we will stand before God our King. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, many of us are not in relationships that look anything like what we've looked at today. For our own part in that, I ask for guidance forgiveness, but guidance for navigating those instances that we can't help. And I ask for grace. I ask for grace in standing in them even when they will never look like this. But I pray more and more that you would, by your grace, establish those relationships that are, those relationships that do reflect this. I pray for us men that we would know what it means to lead. I pray for us as parents that we would know what it means to bring our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I pray for those of us that are part of this church, whether we are found in service or mastery, that we would do so to the honor of your Son that we would together submit to your word, be washed and sanctified, that we would be your people. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H Bible dot O-R-G.